And I shoot my shot, it's the whole going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a fuck. I hit that Janobi with my left hand, all like, woo. Bitch, you wasn't with me shooting in the gym. James Harden with the range on me, nigga, way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine circus. And you can live through anything if magic made it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, now you do. What up, my fellow NBA lovers? This is your guy, Marcellus Ease. You know, with this ever-changing NBA landscape right now, we're going to go over some of the inner nuances that's going on around the league. We're going to touch base on Jeremy Grant and the importance of believing in yourself. And also, we're going to touch base on the Becky Hammond coaching situation how an injustice to one is truly an injustice to all. We're also going to touch base on the Bradley Beal situation that's going on in Washington. Is he getting tired of the Russell Westbrook experience? And we're also going to talk about the return of the big man. This season, we've seen some of the best players in the league be big men, aka Jokic and Embiid, and they're making a strong case for MVP. And finally, we'll take a trip down memory lane with Isaiah Thomas as he reflects back on his Boston Celtics years him playing through that major hip injury and leading the Celtics to the Eastern Conference Finals while at the same time he was dealing with the death of his sister and him not getting his max extension. How much did his loyalty towards the NBA franchise really cost him? As we see today, the player empowerment movement led by LeBron James's 2010 decision is in full effect. And we'll talk about how players use the unfortunate circumstance of Isaiah Thomas as sort of a mold or sort of a blueprint on what not to do when it comes to taking chances on your career. But before we get to all that, I want you guys to check out in the description below my weekly gems. I know you guys have a lot of different hobbies and interests. There's a lot of stuff you could download straight into your phone. There's weekly music playlists. There's a lot of books on business, music, fashion, cooking. All this you could download straight into your phone. So definitely check it out. Now this will be Know Your Worth Volume 1. And this will be starring Jeremy Grant. As last season we've seen him take a leap of confidence to join the Detroit Pistons for the same amount, three years, $60 million that he was offered by his current team, the Denver Nuggets. And everyone was asking, why did he decide to go with a lesser team? It's because he wanted a greater role and he saw more for himself. And this applies to everyone in their everyday life. Maybe a job you have, they don't see the potential that you know that you could be. So you have to know the importance of knowing your worth. And seeing Jeremy Grant in this situation, he had a vision for himself that perhaps other teams had no idea that that could be a role that he could fulfill. Now, most teams Jeremy Grant has been on, the 76ers, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Denver Nuggets, they were all teams in which his role was capped at a certain point because other players had to get their points, their possession, and their usage. So in those situations, his potential could only go as far as other stars on those teams would allow it to be because his role was only to complement those players. You look at the situation in OKC, Russell Westbrook and Paul George were the main features in that offense. Same thing applies in Denver. Jokic and Jamal Murray were the main parts of that offense. But also that team had a lot of depth because they had guys like Paul Millsap, Will Barton, Gary Harris, and the upcoming player, Michael Porter Jr. So even being one of many in Denver, he still was a very big focal part of that team because if you looked at last year in the playoffs in the bubble, he guarded all the best players on the other teams. He guarded Kawhi, 
He guarded Donovan Mitchell, Anthony Davis, LeBron James. He was by far the best defender on that team. So him having ability to defend is already a plus. We also got to look at, as a second round draft pick, how he improved on his three-point shot when he was in OKC. And just him finishing at the rim every season got better and better. So with all these things coming into the fold, him just returning to Denver and just being a defender among a bunch of other guys coming off the bench, it definitely would have capped his potential. But this is where it's important for you to always have vision for yourself because with Jeremy Grant taking on a larger role in Detroit and just being free to expand his game, we've seen him average 12 points per game last year to this season averaging 24 points per game and still being one of the better defenders on the team. And he's proving a lot of naysayers wrong who thought he was crazy and going above his head for believing that he could be a focal point of a team. And this season, he's definitely proven that. And he's also making a great case to being an all-star. Now, Detroit's record would have to be a little bit better, but he's definitely making a case for that. But shout out to Jeremy Grant. Best of luck this season. And remember, know your worth. Now, an injustice to one is truly an injustice to all. And this will be volume one starring Becky Hammond. As we've seen a very focused approach by the media to highlight Becky Hammond possibly being the first female head coach in the NBA. And why am I saying an injustice to one is truly an injustice to all? It's because Becky Hammond 100% is qualified to be a head coach in the NBA. But with the push for her to be the head coach, especially by the media, we're going to have to ask ourselves, how are there only five black head coaches in the NBA when in the last 40 years, the men who built the league make up over 70% of the players? Now, if we look at the last 40 years of just when the NBA experienced all the growth that it has up until this point, we can just say at least 400 players come into the league every year. And let's just be conservative. Let's just say 300 of those players are black players. We times that by 40 years. And then let's just be conservative again and say at least 10% of them want to be coaches. That still leaves over a thousand guys wanting to be head coaches. And it's an issue that former players and current players have been taking notice for a while. I seen Jay Will on ESPN make a snarky remark to Stephen A. Smith of how there was such a limited amount of black head coaches in the NBA. He did it in a funny way that was kind of jokey, but serious at the same time. And then last year, we seen in the bubble, the players actually put on the agenda for when they had the boycott for the league to have an initiative and checks and balances for their processes when it comes to hiring minorities in these positions. See, when there's already an issue of just hiring practices with one demographic, it's definitely going to affect another demographic. See, because with Becky Hammond, she's like the John Gruden, or should I say in basketball terms, she's sort of like an Eric Spolster, just a film room rat, just in there all day, every day, just studying film, studying habits. And the inner nuances of basketball, is sort of like an art. It's either you know it or you don't. It doesn't matter what gender you are. But with Becky Hammond, I remember when she came into the WNBA, she played with some tough-ass players on that New York Liberty team. She had Tamika Whitmore, Teresa Witherspoon, Vicky Johnson, Tira Phillips, and she was small too. So she had to kind of adjust to the physicality and understand, you know, her footwork, her positioning, how to get to certain spots. She had to sort of manipulate the game. And I'm not surprised 
that she got into the coaching world. Because even in the NBA, you see players that weren't as athletic, but who had long careers because they had to find inner nuances within the NBA game to hold their position in the league. Those tend to be the best coaches. But after 2007, when she was done with the San Antonio Stars, she went straight into the film room with Pop. I mean, even before she retired from the WNBA, she had an injury. She was already going off and watching film with Popovich and his team. And what some people don't remember, because we tend not to watch Summer League like that, in her first year coaching that Vegas tournament, the Spurs end up winning the whole thing. And also keep in mind, when was the last time you ever seen the Spurs pick at the very top of the draft? I'm talking about in the last like five, six, seven years. So that kind of shows you her pedigree. But the NBA, especially in the last couple years, their issues with hiring minority coaches, it may overshadow this Becky Hammond situation because currently most minority hires are only for lame duck jobs. I mean, even when guys do a good job with limited resources, we still see them let go. We've seen Nate McMillan without Victor Oladipo for almost two seasons still make the playoffs, but he still ended up getting fired by the Pacers. We've seen David Fisdale get fired from the Knicks and also from the Memphis Grizzlies, even though he got that injured riddle team into the playoffs and played a good first round matchup against the Spurs, he still was laid off. We've seen Jack Vaughn in the Magic. That's another lame duck job. Brian Shaw with the Nuggets when they weren't that good. We've seen Lionel Hollins with the Memphis Grizzlies. Avery Johnson with the Brooklyn Nets when all their draft picks were depleted. Keith Smart with the Sacramento Kings. Paul Silas with the Charlotte Hornets. The list goes on and on and on with the lame duck job hires. But even with those lame duck jobs, there's still a lot of coaches that still get the benefit of the doubt throughout the league. You look at Billy Donovan and the way he had two first round exits back to back years in the playoffs in OKC. He was still allowed to coach until the end of his six year contract, even though he had those two failed playoff appearances and multiple failed seasons with having Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. We can also include Mike D'Antoni onto that list. I never seen a coach who has had more talent than Mike D'Antoni and never have an NBA Finals appearance. Remember, he had that team in Phoenix that never made the finals. He almost missed the playoffs while having Kobe Bryant, Dwight Howard, and Steve Nash. And of course, let's not forget the Houston Rocky years, having James Harden, Chris Paul, Dwight Howard, and Russell Westbrook, and having no NBA Finals appearance to show for it. But Mike D'Antoni always gets the benefit of the doubt because he's always a top candidate for a head coaching job, especially for a team that's either playoff bound or championship bound. And we also got to look at Luke Walton. <laughs> Luke Walton is definitely living off his last name. How's he always able to get another job? The Laker job was a complete botch. And in Sacramento so far, it doesn't look that much different. What reputation that Luke Walton has to keep getting these jobs? Him and Mike Dunleavy Jr. must have the same hookup. Now, I got to say, there's one minority coach that's definitely living off his last name. And he keeps getting opportunity after opportunity. And that's Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers vastly underachieved in Boston, only getting one championship. And he vastly underachieved while being the coach of the Clippers. But yet he was still able to land a top-notch job coaching the Philadelphia 76ers. Now he's a proven coach because of that 2008 championship. But how long can he live off that reputation from 08? And another coach that was allowed to go out gracefully was Jim Boylan, the coach of the Chicago Bulls. He was completely out of touch with the players, but yet he was allowed to gracefully walk out 
which is something that we don't see minority coaches, especially in lame duck job situations, get. Even though some of them have overachieved in those situations, they still don't get the grace to at least part ways with the franchise. They get the public firing treatment. Now looking at the GM position, there's a few things funny in the light. Sam Hankey gets praised a lot, especially by the analytical guys. This is a guy who had nothing but losing seasons and sold the art of losing to a fan base. Shit, I should even call it an art. That shit was purely disgusting. And another analytical guy who gets praised is Daryl Morey, who has no NBA Finals appearance. Now Daryl Morey, to me, he's a guy who can make really good trade deals. He reminds me of one of those guys you've seen back in the day running on the floor in Wall Street with the paper in their hands trying to make trades. That's Daryl Morey to me. He's a very good negotiator. He does have a lot of regular season success, and he can guarantee a lot of owners to at least get the teams into the playoffs. But when it comes to winning the big one, he's still unproven. And this is where it comes to my last point, and this is where I tie in Joe Dumars. The same guys who praise Sam Hankey and Daryl Morey for their analytics is the same guys who bash Joe Dumars. Even though Joe Dumars built a team from scratch in the 2004 Detroit Pistons, who won the NBA championship against that legendary Laker team, even with Karl Malone and Gary Payton, and Joe Dumars made the Eastern Conference Finals for six years in a row. He had two NBA Finals appearances, lost to the Spurs in Game 7. This guy is proven, but yet by those same analytical guys, praise Sam Hankey and Daryl Morey, they bash Joe Dumars. This is something I could never understand. And Joe Dumars for years, he had the Darko Milicek draft pick cloud hanging above his head. It's only one draft pick. You know how many GMs had messed up on multiple draft picks? But for some reason, that was held over his head for years, which I never understood because he's proven that he built a championship team and a team that contended so far down the line that they made the Eastern Conference Finals for six years in a row. You can say there is a slight bias, especially the way minority coaches and executives get treated but at the end of the day whether it's male female whatever culture or color skin you are if you know the game you know the game and the same way the media sort of highlights becky hammond and her journey to being a coach in the nba they should highlight minority coaches in the same way because they're facing the same plight in a league that they help build now taking a look at this bradley bill situation it's very interesting because I don't think the Wizards realized when they took the gamble on getting Russell Westbrook that there was going to be a power struggle between him and Bradley Beal. Because for starters, Russell Westbrook right now, he's pretty much on the downhill part of his career where he's getting older. He's not as fast. He has to make major adjustments in his rehab coming off of injuries to prepare his body to play. It may be something that caught him off guard that he's not used to because a lot of his game is really based off his athleticism. And the second point to look at in this situation is that with Westbrook on the downhill portion of his career, is he gonna respect Bradley Beal enough to let him take the keys? Because you have to understand, in Westbrook's eyes, he looks at himself as more successful than Bradley Beal. Just the other day when John Wall had beat the Wizards, I believe that was the first time he defeated Russell Westbrook in a long time. So you have to understand, Westbrook has always had a leg up on these guys so now him being with bradley beal he still views himself on the higher end of the pecking order when it comes to him and bradley beal but at the end of the day bradley beal right now in 2021 is more efficient and the much better player than westbrook but westbrook probably looks at it like i've won an mvp award i've made multiple playoff appearances 
you know, your ass has always been looking outside of the playoffs in a weaker conference. How can I give the keys to you, even though this was already your franchise? This whole situation is kind of playing out a bit awkward. I mean, we even seen it with Bradley Beal's body language throughout the games. It's just certain points you could tell he doesn't give a fuck anymore. But this is the gamble the Wizards took. And I'm wondering when eventually the beans will spill on what happened with John Wall. Because something must have happened with him for the Wizards just to say, fuck it. They just threw on a draft pick and send him to Houston. So at some point, we're going to find out what really happened. But going back to Bradley Beal, I just wouldn't be surprised if he requests a trade. Honestly, eventually it's going to get to that point because Russell Westbrook is pretty much locked in. And because he's on that super max deal, he's basically untradeable. And I'm wondering if Bradley Beal had ambitions to be a leader of a franchise. Maybe that's why he doesn't want to get traded or maybe he just doesn't want to move right now in the middle of a pandemic. So he's being sort of the Mr. Nice guy right now about this whole situation. You know, another thing that we just really need to look at here is that a lot of guys right now don't want to move. Especially through this pandemic, a lot of NBA players have young families, so they're not really trying to make major moves to different cities during a pandemic, especially to potential cities that have it worse than others. So that's another thing that we should start to consider from the outside looking in, especially just for this season. You know, this season is pretty much the return of the big man because some of the best players right now in the league are just guys at that center position, which we were told by the analytical crowd that is no longer a relevant position. You look at Joel Embiid in 32 minutes, he's averaging 28 points a game, 11 rebounds, 1.2 steals, 1.3 blocks. And he has the Philadelphia 76ers sitting on top of the Eastern Conference in first place. And then you can also look at Jokic. Oh my God, Jokic. 35 minutes a game, 26 points per game, 11.8 rebounds a game, 8.6 assists, Jesus. And all on 57% shooting and 38% shooting from three. Jokic is doing some legendary shit. I'm telling you, a lot of the moves the Lakers and the Clippers made in the offseason, especially getting Ibaka and getting Gasol over to the Lakers, those were moves to get ready for Jokic. But this year's MVP race definitely has those guys at the very top of the mix. I would say LeBron James slightly ahead of those guys. But once again, with the heavy analytically driven crowd telling us that the center position is out of date and that three-point shooting is a new way, once again, the past couple years, they've been wrong about a few things. We look at the last two NBA champions in the Toronto Raptors and the Los Angeles Lakers. They didn't really have three-point shooters like that. And both teams utilized the mid-range a lot. And in this season... We clearly see that two big men are some of the best players in the league right now, and they're dominating. And just going back to this MVP race, Giannis, man. I don't know what happened last year, but I think Giannis took a hit on his reputation with him losing to Miami because there was nothing really legendary about that Miami team. But Giannis this season is clearly averaging slightly less, but it seems like his team is benefiting more as a collective from him doing so but the mvp award is really a narrative award and so far things are sort of going in the direction of lebron james getting it but if the utah jazz continue to stay as hot as they are right now things may change it's still early we're almost approaching the all-star break but the landscape could change at any minute 
Now, LeBron James's 2010 decision to go to Miami created a major paradigm shift in the NBA, in which it was for the first time players had seen a guy who was a leader of his franchise make a major decision that was best for him and his family. Now, fast forward to today, LeBron James making that decision to go to Miami is basically a norm throughout the league, as we've seen stars always make trade requests and seek out much better opportunity and it's basically become the norm. But LeBron James back in 2010, he took a lot of bullets for making that initial paradigm shift. Now looking at the cautionary tale of Isaiah Thomas in his two year tenure with the Boston Celtics between 2015 and 2017, it pretty much serves as a cautionary tale to a lot of players on trying to be loyal to a franchise of where it can really get you if it goes the wrong way. Because these franchises and these fan bases at the end of the day do not have any loyalty to you or your family. And as we've seen in 2017 and 2018, Kawhi Leonard had basically looked at what happened to Isaiah Thomas in Boston because he shut himself down from playing for the Spurs. Now, even though Isaiah Thomas played through that hip injury, we've seen how he ended up getting treated by Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics. As when the opportunity came up not to pay him, they quickly shipped him out to another team thus forfeiting his opportunity to get a max deal. Now, Isaiah Thomas sat down and spoke about the situation. You guys check it out, and every once in a while, I'll check in. When injury first came up. I just, I, don't, I can't necessarily say I regret. I just didn't know enough. And, you know, at that point in time, 2017, going into that 2017-18 season, which was a contract year for me. Yeah. I didn't know, you know, honestly, I, I didn't know what, was the right or wrong decision. Now, I believe him when he says that to an extent. I believe Danny Ainge knew the situation a lot better because the way he ended up treating Isaiah Thomas, remember, ever since then, we've never really seen stars choose Boston as a destination. A lot of players viewed the fact that Danny Ainge treated Isaiah Thomas the way he did as a cautionary tale not to join that team. That's why you see guys like Anthony Davis make it clear that he does not want to join teams like the Boston Celtics but then he's willing to go and join Paul George in Indiana. So once again, a lot of players throughout the league, seeing the way the Boston Celtics management treats their players, especially when they show a lot of loyalty. We came together, my circle of guys, then I got traded to Cleveland. That medical staff came, you know, and we just really figured it was best to stay away from surgery and try to let it heal on its own which took me seven months, you know, to to get back to playing basketball. And, and you know, that year, 2018, I think I first played January 3rd or January 4th, something like that. You know, it was tough. I think if I knew what I know now about the hip, and I would have definitely just sat it out and got the surgery. I now, one thing I have to look at, the city of Boston is known for its hospitals, it's colleges which have major medical institutions within those. And remember what happened to David Ortiz down in the Dominican Republic when he got shot. The Boston Red Sox management flew him over to Boston because they knew they had the medical facilities to save his life. That's how excellent the medical institutions are in Boston. So I'm wondering how the hell the Boston Celtics had let Isaiah Thomas take such a gamble on his career and potentially his career earnings. Would have mm -hmm. sat that next season out, been healed by the offseason, bet on myself, and, you know, signed a one-year deal somewhere so where I could show that I was 100% healthy, you know. And that's yeah. all, like, thinking about it now. 
Like, obviously, I wish mm-hmm. I did that, but at the same time, it's like I didn't have that much information on what was really going on. And that's why it came to the decision of me, you know, just trying to write it out and, and let it heal on its own. But well, once again, it just doesn't make sense that he didn't have enough information of what's going on. Once again, Boston has some of the best medical institutions. And I'm pretty sure playing Monday morning quarterback, Isaiah Thomas probably looks back at the situation, probably views himself as a fool because it should have came across his mind that it's possible that Danny Ainge had a few setbacks about paying a guy that's five foot nine a max contract. Since like the day after surgery, I just felt so much different. And it's just been like a blessing in the skies mm-hmm. for me, you know, with the pandemic happening, you know, no disrespect to, you know, everything that's going on in the world, but that kind of slow, that gave me the amount of time to be able to really rehab on my own, take my time and, you know, build my body back up the right way. And I've been able to do that. And I've been, you know, feeling amazing for shoot the last three or four months to where you know i have no pain i have no setbacks and this is like documented so this is not just me fighting for myself like this is you know the surgeon (laughs) the surgeon you know the surgeon i you know i'm a fight for myself no matter what but you know this this is scientific and just so you guys know throughout all this fighting isaiah thomas today is only at the age of 31 so look at all those years of potential career earnings lost. Me proven that the numbers are there. My power mm-hmm. back in my right leg, which is my strong leg. I'm just ready to show the world that, and that I'm 100% finally healthy. And that's all That's all I'm you know, waiting to do is just get an opportunity to be able to show and be a part of something. Now, Isaiah Thomas was asked about how he felt about the Celtics handling of his injury situation. Um, not to go too much into that, you know, into detail on that you know at times I, I i do feel they didn't handle it the right way but you know of course they didn't handle it the right way and i'm wondering if also isaiah thomas when other players ask him about the celtics i'm wondering what exactly does he tell him because ever since the years that he left the celtics they are struggling to land major stars willingly wanting to go there now kimball walker is a recent player that just went over there but they're quickly trying to trade him, as we've seen in this year's past draft. Kimber Walker was on the trade block. So I'm telling you, a lot of players are taking notice of how Danny Ainge treats his players. Happen. Things happening. I think the biggest thing for me was, I think if that was a normal year in terms of, you know, the tragedy didn't happen to my little sister, I, I definitely would have sat out. You know, basketball was the only thing that can mentally help me you know, try to get through that tough time in my life. So even though I was hurt, even though I probably, you know, shouldn't have played because I made it worse, at that point in time, like nobody could tell me no different. Just And Isaiah Thomas showed a lot of heart in that series against the Chicago Bulls, not only playing through that injury, but also dealing with the death of his sister. That was amazing by Isaiah Thomas. One of the better stories in the NBA in the past couple of years. Uh, that was... You know, basketball in my life has always been the thing. If I'm going through something, I'm able to, you know, go to a basketball court, go to a gym and get it off my mind for those few hours that I'm, you know, able to work out and play. And at that time, you know, that was the only thing for those two and a half, three hours when I got to the arena from the beginning of the game to the end of the game where my mind was off of what was going on in my real life. And, you know, 
those was, you know, that was that was a tough decision. But, you know, I made it. I live with those, you know, results. You know, everybody always like, man, you missed out on a max contract. You missed, like, my family, we always say we, we don't count what we don't have, what we never have. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I possibly could have missed out on, you know, a big payday and something that could, you know, change my family's family's life. But, you know, we never had that. So we, we, it wasn't there. It was just, you know, what the possibility could have been. But to answer your question, you know, there was a lot of things that was going on at that point in time, you know, on my side and, and the organization side. So, And I'm wondering if negotiations for him to potentially get that max deal it was already going downhill even before his hip injury has started. I'm telling you, I would not be surprised if Danny Ainge has some reservations about giving Isaiah Thomas five foot nine guard a max contract you, know, you move on you know there's no hard feelings i mean it is what it is and you know everybody's gonna no there's definitely hard feelings i mean at the end of the day isaiah thomas lost out on potential generational money i mean this is no joke this is generational money when it comes to your family and once again this is one of the best things lebron james had done for the nba players is to open up their eyes to the business of the game their opinion about you know what went down but you know i try to move on and try to focus on the things that you know i can you know i can control especially moving forward it is what it is you live and you learn until next time you guys stay safe peace